0: Chapter 1 The Scholar I have learned, in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. Philippians four eleven. The Apostle Paul wrote these words both to anticipate and preempt an objection. In an earlier verse he had laid down many grave and heavenly exhortations, among them to be careful for nothing. Philippians 4, 6 We are not to exclude practical care for he who does not provide for his own house hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel 1 Timothy 5.8. Nor are we to not care for our spiritual state, for Peter said to give all diligence to make your calling and election sure 2 Peter 1.10. But we are to exclude all anxious care about the issues and events of things. Take no thought for your life what ye shall eat. Matthew six twenty five, and in this sense it should be a Christian's care not to be careful. The word careful in the Greek comes from the word that signifies to cut the heart in pieces. It was a soul-dividing care. Pay attention to this. David said, Commit thy way unto the Lord, Psalm 37, 5. The Hebrew word means to roll your way unto the Lord. It is our work to cast away care. 1 Peter 5, 7, and it's God's work to take our care. By our immoderation, we take his work out of his hand. Care, when it deviates from its proper role, when it is either distrustful or distracting, is very dishonorable to God. It takes away his providence, as if he sat in heaven and was not concerned about what became of things here below, like a man who makes a clock and then leaves it to wind itself. Excessive care and worry take the heart from better things, and usually, while we are thinking what we should do to live, we forget how to die. Care is a spiritual sickness that consumes and depresses. By our worry and care, we may sooner add a mile to our grief than a foot to our comfort. God threatens it as a curse. They shall eat their bread with carefulness. Ezekiel twelve nineteen. It would be better to fast than to eat of that bread. Be careful for nothing. Now, in case anyone should say, Paul, you preach something to us that you have scarcely learned yourself, have you learned not to be anxious? The apostle seemed to tacitly answer that in the words of the text, I have learned, in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. This is a speech worthy to be engraved on our hearts, and to be written in letters of gold on the crowns and diadems of princes. The text branches itself into two general parts. One, the scholar, Paul, I have learned. Two, the lesson, in whatsoever state to be content. I begin with the first, the scholar and his skill. Paul said, I have learned. Out of this, I will explain two of my observations. First, the Apostle does not say, I have heard that in every state I should be content, but rather, I have learned. Our first doctrine is, It is not enough for Christians to hear their duty, they must learn their duty. It is one thing to hear and another thing to learn, just as it is one thing to eat and another thing to cook. The Apostle Paul was a practitioner. Christians hear much, but I fear learn little. In the parable of the good soil, there were four sorts of grounds, Luke 8, 5-8, but just one good ground, which is an emblem of this truth, there are many hearers but few learners. There are two things that keep us from learning. The first is slighting what we hear. Christ is the pearl of great price. When we neglect this pearl, we will never learn either its value or its virtue. The gospel is a rare mystery. In one place it is called the gospel of the grace of God, Acts 20.24, 20, and in another it is called the glorious gospel, 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, because in it, as in a transparent glass, the glory of God is resplendent. But they who have learned to scorn this mystery will hardly ever learn to obey it. They who look on the things of heaven as things of little importance, or perhaps as things to help drive a trade, or carry on some shrewd design to make them of greater importance, are those on the high road to damnation, and who will hardly ever learn the things of their peace. Who will learn that which they think is scarcely worth learning? The second thing that keeps us from learning is forgetting what we hear. If a scholar has his studies laid before him, and he forgets them as fast as he reads them, he will never learn James 1, Aristotle calls the memory the scribe of the soul, and Bernard calls it the stomach of the soul, because it has a retentive function and turns heavenly food into blood and spirits. We have great memories for other things. We remember that which is vain. Cyrus could remember the name of every soldier in his huge army we remember insults. This is filling a precious cabinet with dung, but as Jerome said, how soon we forget the sacred truths of God. We are apt to forget three things, our faults, our friends, and our instructions. Many Christians are like sieves. Put a sieve into the water, and it is full, but take it out of the water, and all runs out. While they are listening to a sermon, they remember something but like this sieve out of the water, as soon as they have gone out of the church, all is forgotten. Christ said, Let these sayings sink down into your ears. Luke 9.44. In the original, it is, Put these sayings into your ears, as someone who wants to hide a jewel to keep it from being stolen locks it up safe in his chest. Let them sink. The word must not fall only as dew that wets the leaf, But also as rain that soaks to the root of the tree and makes it bear fruit. Oh, how often does Satan, that fowl of the air, pick up the good seed that is sown? Let me ask you some serious questions. Some of you have heard much. You have lived forty, fifty, sixty years under the blessed trumpet of the gospel. What have you learned? You may have heard a thousand sermons, but not learned one. Search your consciences. You have heard much against sin. Are you hearers or are you scholars? How many sermons have you heard against covetousness, that it is the root on which pride, idolatry, and treason grow? One calls it a metropolitan sin, a complex evil. It twists a great many sins in with it. There is hardly any sin that covetousness is not a main ingredient of. And yet you are like the two daughters of the horse leech who cry, "Give, give!" Proverbs 30.15. How much have you heard about rash anger? You have heard it is a short frenzy, a dry drunkenness, and that it rests in the bosom of fools, but on the most inconsequential occasion your spirits begin to take fire. How much have you heard against swearing? It is Christ's express mandate, swear not at all. Matthew 5.34. This sin, of all others, may be termed the unfruitful work of darkness. It is neither sweetened with pleasure nor enriched with profit, the usual colour with which Satan paints sin. Swearing is expressly forbidden. While the swearer shoots his oaths like flying arrows at God to pierce his glory, God shoots a flying roll of curses against him. Zechariah 5 1 3. Do you make your tongue a racket? By which you toss oaths as tennis balls? Do you sport yourselves with oaths as the Philistines did with Samson, which will at last pull the house down around you? How have they learned what sin is, but have not learned to leave sin? Do those who play with a viper know what it is? You have heard much of Christ, but have you learned Christ? the jews as jerome said carried christ in their bibles but not in their hearts their sound went into all the earth romans 10:18 the prophets and apostles were as trumpets whose sound went abroad into the world yet many thousands who heard the noise of these trumpets had not learned christ they have not all obeyed romans 10:16 a person may know much of christ yet not learn christ the devils knew Christ. Mark 1, A person may preach Christ yet not learn Christ, as Judas and the pseudo apostles did. Philippians one fifteen. A person may profess Christ yet not learn Christ. There are many who profess Christ in the world whom Christ will profess against. Matthew seven twenty-two twenty-three. What does it mean to learn Christ? To learn Christ is to be made like Christ, to have the divine characteristics of His holiness engraved on our hearts. We all, with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image 2 Corinthians 3, 18. There is a metamorphosis made. A sinner viewing Christ's image in the glass of the gospel is transformed into that image. Every person who looked on Christ with a spiritual eye went away quite changed. A true saint is a divine landscape picture where all the rare beauties of Christ are vividly portrayed and drawn. He has the same spirit, the same judgment, the same will as Jesus Christ. To learn Christ is to believe in him, my Lord and my God. John 20:28. 20, it is to not just believe God but to believe in God, which is the actual application of Christ to us, and, as it were, the spreading of the sacred medicine of His blood on our souls. You have heard much of Christ, yet cannot with a humble devotion say, My Jesus. Do not be offended if I tell you that the devil can say his creed as well as you. To learn Christ is to live Christ. When we live our lives biblically, Our lives, like rich diamonds, cast a sparkling luster in the church of God and are in some sense parallel with the life of Christ, as the transcript is with the original. Now I will deal with the second concept of this word. The word that means, I have learned, is a word that implies difficulty. It shows how difficult it was for the apostle to gain contentment of mind. It was not bred in nature. Paul did not come by it naturally but he had learned it. It cost him many a prayer and tear. It was taught to him by the Spirit. So our second doctrine is that good things are hard to come by. The business of religion is not as easy as most imagine. I have learned, said Paul. Indeed, you do not need to teach a person to sin. This comes naturally, Psalm 58.3, and therefore easily. It comes as water out of a spring. It is an easy thing to be wicked. Hell will be taken without storm. But matters of religion must be learned. To cut the flesh is easy, but to prick a vein and not cut an artery is hard. The trade of sin does not need to be learned, but the art of divine contentment is not achieved without holy labour. I have learned. There are two weighty reasons why there must be so much study and training. The first is because spiritual things are against nature. Everything in religion is diametrically opposed to nature. In religion there are two things, credenda and facienda, and both are against nature. Credenda are matters of faith, such as for people to be justified by the righteousness of another, to become fools that they may be wise, to save all by losing all. This is against nature. Facienda are matters of practice seen in such things as self-denial, to deny your own wisdom and see yourself blind, to deny your will and have it melted into the will of God, plucking out the right eye, beheading and crucifying that sin which is the favorite and lies nearest to the heart, being dead to the world and in the midst of need to abound, taking up the cross and following Christ, not only in golden paths but also in bloody paths, embracing religion when it is dressed in night clothes, all the jewels of honor and position having been pulled off. All this is against nature, and therefore must be learned. Self-examination is to take your heart as a watch, all in pieces, to set up a spiritual inquisition or court of conscience, and examine things in your own soul. To take David's candle and lantern, Psalm 119.105, and search for sin as a judge, to pass sentence on yourself, 2 Samuel 24.17. This is against nature, and will not easily be attained without learning. Self-reformation. To see someone like Caleb or another spirit walking contrary to himself, the current of his life altered and running into the channel of religion, is wholly against nature. When a stone ascends, it is not a natural motion, but a violent one. The motion of the soul heavenward is a violent motion. It must be learned. Flesh and blood are not skilled in these things. Nature can no more cast out nature than Satan can cast out Satan. The second reason why there must be so much study and practice is because spiritual things are above nature. There are some things in nature that are hard to discover, such as the cause of things, which are not learned without study. The great philosopher Aristotle, whom some have called an eagle fallen from the clouds, could not find out the motion of the river Euripus, so he threw himself into it. What then are divine things such as the Trinity, the hypostatic union, and the mystery of faith to believe against hope, which are, in a realm above nature, and beyond all human study only god's spirit can light our candle here the apostle calls these the deep things of god 1 corinthians 2:10 the gospel is full of jewels but they are locked up from sense and reason the angels in heaven are searching into these sacred depths 1 peter 1:12 let us beg the spirit of god to teach us we must be divinely taught The eunuch could read, but he could not understand until Philip joined himself to his chariot, Acts 8.29. God's Spirit must join himself to our chariot. He must teach, or we cannot learn. All thy children shall be taught of the Lord, Isaiah 54.13. A man may read the figure on the dial, but he cannot tell how much of the day has gone by unless the sun shines on the dial, we may read the bible over but we cannot learn its purpose until the spirit of god shines into our hearts 2 corinthians 4, six. oh call on this blessed spirit it is god's royal prerogative to teach i am the lord thy god which teacheth thee to profit isaiah 48:17 ministers may tell us our lesson but only god can teach us we have lost both our hearing and our sight Therefore, we are very unfit to learn. Ever since Eve listened to the serpent, we have been deaf, and ever since she looked on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we have been blind. But when God comes to teach, He removes these impediments, Isaiah 35, 5. We are naturally dead, Ephesians 2, 1. Who will bother to teach a dead man? But God takes on the responsibility to make dead men understand mysteries. God is the Grand Teacher. This is the reason the preached Word works so differently on people. Two in a pew, the one is worked on effectively, the other lies at the ordinances as a dead child at the breast and gets no nourishment. What is the reason? Because the heavenly gale of the Spirit blows on one and not on the other. One has the anointing of God, which teaches him all things, 1 John 2.27. The other does not have it. God's Spirit speaks sweetly, but irresistibly. In that heavenly doxology, only those who are sealed in their foreheads could sing the new song, Revelation 14.1-3. Reprobates could not sing it. Those who are skillful in the mysteries of salvation must have the seal of the Spirit on them. Let us make this our prayer. Lord, breathe your Spirit into your Word. We have a promise which may add wings to prayer. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? Luke 11.13. And this concludes my short explanation of the first part of the text.